Hello, and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast, coming to you virtually from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Greg Heilman. And I'm Matt Haver. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week, we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K. Welcome to episode 46. Today is Friday, October 1st, and in a few moments, we'll be joined by accomplished entertainment business reporter and professor of entertainment journalism, Diane Haithman. With so many COVID-induced changes in Hollywood and in the streaming universe, we're excited to hear from Diane and get a look at the current state of the industry from someone with so much experience covering the business of show business. And speaking of covering show business, hopefully by now you've had a chance to check out Greg's latest review of Western Washington Center for the Arts production of Pirates of Penzance. And if you live in the Kitsap region, hopefully you've gone out and seen it. But if not, have no fear. There's one weekend remaining starting today. So jump online, wwca.us, and get your tickets now for a fun show helmed by our friends Dan Estes and Rebecca Ewan and starring a ton of talented friends and neighbors. We've been lucky enough to cover many of our local shows and the local spots to see them in our Get to Know a Theater segment. And this week, we have the privilege of sitting down with artistic director Bill Barry and managing director Bernadine Griffin from the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle. The Fifth just celebrated its 95th anniversary and is currently undergoing a major renovation in anticipation of an exciting return in 2022. Find our latest episode of Get to Know a Theater on our YouTube channel and learn everything you wanted to know about the theater actress Helen Hayes called A National Treasure, The Fifth Avenue. And now we're pleased to welcome Diane Haithman to the show. Diane recently left a job as staff reporter at the Los Angeles Business Journal to take on a new challenge as senior entertainment business reporter at online news website The Wrap. She was a longtime contributor to entertainment industry website Deadline Hollywood and an arts and entertainment staff writer for the Los Angeles Times before embarking on an independent writing and teaching career. The recipient of two Los Angeles Press Club Awards, Diane first joined the Los Angeles Times covering the television industry before moving to the arts and culture beat for most of her career. Prior to joining the Times, Diane was West Coast Bureau Chief and Hollywood columnist for the LA-based Detroit Free Press. She's been a critic fellow at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center's New Playwrights Conference and has also written for The Hollywood Reporter, Angelino, and Post Magazines and many other publications. Diane is a graduate of the University of Michigan Honors College with a joint degree in English and Psychology and is currently an adjunct professor of entertainment journalism at Emerson College, L.A. and Hollywood. She's also an author. Her novel, Dark Lady of Hollywood, a merry mashup of the TV industry and the world of Shakespeare, was published to critical acclaim in 2014 by Harvard Square Editions and is currently available in both paperback and Kindle. Diane joins us from her home in Los Angeles. Diane, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Matt. Nice to meet you both. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. So, uh, we just went through your bio, and it's uh, full of accomplishments. And we'd like to know what started it all. What inspired your, first of all, your, your dual major, English and psychology. Now, we assume that psychology must have helped a little bit in the journalism side, dealing with all these show business <laughs> folks, right? I think so. I mean, I think what you're looking at is basic uh, undergraduate indecision in terms of a double major. Um, but part of it was just, you know, I was in University of Michigan's Honors College, and I was doing my English major. And what was required of us is that we had to do a senior thesis. And I just couldn't bring myself to do a senior thesis on Shakespeare or whatever. And it just sounded like it'd be a lot more fun to do an empirical study for the psychology major. And I had been studying a little bit of psychology. So that's kind of why that happened. Um, and also just, you know, I had built up enough credits to kind of do a double major. But uh, I certainly had 
decided against a major in journalism as a freshman. Um, I had a course I was taking and um, there was one question on, it was a big lecture course and there was one question on the list, um, what is journalism? And there actually was a correct answer. You know, there's an A, B, C, D, or D, which was something that was in one of the chapters we studied, but I thought, I don't know if I want to major in something where there's a correct answer to the question, what is journalism? So <laughs> I decided to sort of study other things, but to do some, some journalism and some writing, you know, during my, my college years. So, and I, as an English major, I did a lot of creative writing. That was kind of my, my thing. And, um, you know, I learned once, you know, I always thought of newspapers as being, there was crime, there was politics, there were a bunch of subjects that I didn't really have any connection with. But um, I started as a theater critic at the Michigan Daily newspaper. And I had a big strong background in dance, you know, all sorts of things. And as far as just writing general features, I sort of looked at them and said, well, I think I can do that. And um, it kind of went from there. And I applied for a, an internship at the Detroit Free Press. It was my first entree into journalism. And I didn't realize that they had never had an intern in their arts and entertainment section. Interns were always people who worked on a city desk. Had I known that, I wouldn't have applied, but you know, they sort of took me as their first ever intern in that area. And from there, you know, I volunteered to spend some time on the city desk. I spent some time um, in their lifestyle section. I kind of did more than uh, just the, the arts stuff. Um, but it, you know, it started with arts, went over into, they started asking me to review movies. Um, so it's always been a real mix. I did a, and they sent me out to California where I wrote a movie column. And if anyone from Detroit did anything bad in Los Angeles, I covered it. <laughs> you know, I had to sort of explain Los Angeles to Detroit that thought it was a bunch of crazy people. Why do they live in Malibu where there are mudslides and fires? And what is wrong with these people was one of my favorite stories is why do they do it? Why are they living on that mud hill? So, you know, you just do a lot as a journalist, I think you know, we all have our beats and it all looks as though we're, we're experts in some narrow thing that we happen to be covering right now. But um, a lot of people have covered a lot of different things, done a lot of travel writing, you know, it's, it's been, you know, kind of all over the map. I got tapped to do a food column for a little while, you know, no qualifications whatsoever, but a little magazine said, we need somebody to do our food column. And I had, uh, you know, left the LA Times and uh, it was sort of a local magazine here in the San Fernando Valley. So there's really been a lot. I wrote a column with my dog. We shared a byline um, for uh, a small publication after having done the same thing for the LA Times Pets blog. So, you know, well, there you go. You, you've had a lot of different roles and we're talking about acting. And uh, if there's one thing that Greg and I have learned, especially from all these guests we've had over the last year is flexibility is key. Yeah. So you've been able to step in all these different roles and uh, it sounds like a lot of fun uh, fun assignments, food and travel and, and film uh, certainly beats the city desk. Yeah, I mean, for people who like the city desk, it doesn't beat the city desk. But um, <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, um, when we had a big earthquake here in 1994, all of a sudden, all of us were sucked in from all over the Los Angeles Times, which is where I spent most of my career, um, to cover the earthquake. Um, sure. Talk to people. I was sort of assigned to talk to people who were involved in the arts in one way or another. And one of them, one of the people I talked to was an architect who talked about how he could tell it was a vertical earthquake rather than a horizontal earthquake by the fact that the furniture hopped. It made boom, boom, boom on the mm. floor. And it's just, we just learned these. We, we wrote all of that without any of our voice. It was all just, you know, straight 
interview transcript, but um, that was great fun. Um, riots, less fun, but the point is you can't, you know, 9-11, I mean, you, you, you get pulled in. That's one thing that sometimes I look at the way journalism now and I see young reporters who say started a trade paper, um, particularly an entertainment one, and they get so used to it being all about who can write up press releases the fastest. It's all very processed and things we used to sneer at and not put in the LA Times. Now that the various trade publications are all, so, all vying to be the first one with this piece of information. Hmm. You know, it, it, you feel like there's a game being played. This is under embargo. Does that mean it's interesting? Does that mean it's important? <laughs> not necessarily, it just means it's under embargo, you know? And a lot of it seems cookie cutter too. I know Matt and I have noticed from some of the local journalists out here that when they're writing, I will say stage reviews or something like that, that it's all, it all seems to be so cookie cutter. And I think maybe, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, having that varied or kind of organic background gives you the ability to make everything seem original because you're writing from different perspectives and about different things. Have you found that that's helped your, your writing style? I guess if you look at it, you know, someone else might tell me something that I should have learned in journalism school. Like I've just written this piece and they'll call it an anecdotal lead or this or that. And it's like, oh, okay. I didn't know I was doing that, but yay. You know, <laughs> I do think probably having creative writing skills and just enjoying that has been helpful in terms of just, you know, sometimes you have a topic that's not, you're just, just going to have fun with it as a piece of writing. You know, I did a piece on, um, the fact that there's always all of this, and you, you guys certainly know this, um, worry that the audience for the fine arts, for theater, for concerts, all of that is dying out. Oh no, what will we do the aging audience? But I had been talking to some people in the business who said, you know, that's always been true. We're panicking about it right now, but, and that there's always new gray, as she called it. You know, that was the thing that stuck in my head is there's always new gray coming along that's done raising their kids or, has some money to buy opera tickets, whatever, who are experiencing the arts. So, but, you know, that's just kind of one fact. You can have a lot of fun just talking to people about it and, and just in the way it's written and all that, that makes it readable in a way that just the fact probably wouldn't. And I think you know, I always tell young journalism students, you know, they, they get into, well, how should I interview people and how should I be and about acting like a journalist? It's like, ask questions you want to know the answer to. Exactly. You know, what do you want to like, know? Do you miss the cold winters in Michigan? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> as people say, do you miss the seasons? I always say two of them, <laughs> but the rest I could live with that. No, I mean, I didn't come to California because I was looking for warm weather. I actually was looking, I, you know, I grew up in Detroit. I went to school in the Detroit suburbs. I went to the University of Michigan. So I wanted to go someplace new after working at the Detroit Free Press for a few years. But I was looking east. That was just how I'd been taught to think and was interviewing with, at that time, the Detroit Free Post was owned by Knight Ritter Newspapers. It also owned Philadelphia Inquirer and the Miami Herald. And I was looking that way. But um, the Free Press offered me the opportunity to go out west and reopen what we had had a West Coast Bureau for a while with our film critic based out west. And so I went west. And it really was not about, oh, it's too cold. It was just, here's an opportunity. I've appreciated that, but one thing they don't tell you is it does get cold in California. You know, you're not you're not always warm. The uh, the fans who come out here for the Rose Bowl, you know, it's always people from Wisconsin wearing shorts mm -hmm. and ice cream here. <laughs> they think it's warm, but we, we've come to realize, nope, it's winter. 
<laughs> so how did you settle on after all of this kind of path of topics and, and things that you've written about settle on entertainment business? I think we can see how you got in the arts, but specifically business. Well, specifically business. That was really one of those. That's the job that, you know, I wrote for, um, uh, a few years for the um, Los Angeles Business Journal. And that really was one of those, I was freelancing, I was doing a variety of things. I was starting to feel like I kind of needed a job. And I talked to them and they were interested in expanding their entertainment coverage a little bit when I came on. And the editors at The Wrap saw my work in the Business Journal. But, you know, I, I look at my title, Senior Business Reporter, and I realized, you know, I think I fit better almost into, you know, the, the, the trend stories, I guess, are the ones that are most fascinating to me. And sometimes that can be a trend in business. That can be something that has happened in business that shifts the way Hollywood works. But ultimately, I'm interested in the people and what is it, what do they think about it? You know, how does it change what we're seeing on screen? You know, I've spent so much time as a, as a critic and an interviewer of the people involved. I'm happier when I'm interviewing writers probably than I am interviewing um, the, or being at the press conference rather for the, the latest executive who is bullish on, you know, streaming or whatever it is. There's <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, people are people. And I just find, you know, sometimes an arts donor is more fascinating than an actor. Sometimes, you know, even though they're way out here, sometimes somebody who's, you know, as I learned through the business journal, I ended up doing their handling their style pages because the person who was handling the style pages quit the day I got hired and they said, you're doing it. But I started writing about retail. You know, I ended up doing a lot of stories about an area that I never really thought about. And looking at what happens in business sometimes just tells you what's happening in the world. I did a story on the death of lipstick during um, COVID. Uh. Us. How can you sell lipstick? Sure enough, the business, the numbers show that lipstick was down and I said it was up. But you know, <laughs> um, it's just... I just find stuff interesting. I don't know what to say. Um, this job was offered to me and I thought, let's give it a shot. I had done a lot of freelancing for another trade paper uh, deadline um, just over the years. And I thought, am I up for a trade paper? They offered me an opportunity to do a different kind of story. They're looking to build up their subscriber uh, base. So they wanted people who can dig a little bit deeper and do those, those stories for um, behind the paywall that make people want to come behind the paywall. I don't know if it's working, you know, it's been less than a year, we'll see, but um, it seems to be. And they also offered me the opportunity to do, partly because I asked about it, they do a lot of a lot of video interviews, a lot of um, that kind of stuff, which I think are fun. So um, the fact of getting being able to say once a month, hey, I'm going to create a show. I'm going to find a topic that I think we're, we're going to arrange a panel and we're going to talk about anything from the streaming wars to Rotten Tomatoes to, you know, just picking an interesting person, Michael Connolly, you know, um, and the fact that he's just got huge numbers of fans for Bosch. Bosch was coming back, you know, what does he have to say about, you know, just developing a, a character from a book to the screen, which shockingly to me was something that got more hits on, I think, than any other panel that we've done. Who knows, you know? Well, that actually brings us to our next question. And and you, you mentioned the word trends and things that are happening in Hollywood and really happening all over the country and world is that shift from uh, focus on print journalism or, or you know, print publications to online 
publications, uh, for lack of a better term. We spoke with uh, Susan King, uh, formerly the L.A. Times, and she spoke about just that kind of that natural progression of, you know, the newsrooms are starting to empty out a bit. Um, you know, papers are either closing, being consolidated, making do with smaller staffs, things like that. But now you're, you're, you're writing out the rap. You've had decades of experience in print. What are some of the differences that you've seen um, between or, or that you've felt uh, personally writing for digital versus the print platforms? Well, you know, the all the traditional print platforms now have a digital element. You know, right. it's the LA Times or whatever. You know, I was there. I'm working for a print publication. But for a while, when this sort of creation of websites was new, um, now it's not websites. It's about delivering it directly to your email. Nobody's going to bother to go to a website usually yeah. um, unless they can just connect. But um, for a while there, we were writing two different stories each time we did a story. You'd work on a story and then they'd say, okay, but come up with some quirky different thing about this story that can go on the web. So you did end up just doing two totally separate stories. But, you know, again, and then as it developed even more, it became, we'd always had little items, you know, in the press, there'd always be this thing they called in the, the you know, out here, as you know, the, the, the entertainment section of the LA Times called the calendar section. And it would have this thing called the morning report. And it would have just those little blurbs, you know, this is happening, that's happening. So there's always been that element of just those little, little blurbs. And digital, I mean, I'm writing in words, right? I, we haven't totally switched to to video, to podcast, to we have all those things. But, um, you know, newsrooms, I think what they're losing is um, certain areas are just gone. You know, there aren't very many classical music critics anymore. They're telling, just to consolidate, you know, the music critic should cover just anything that has to do with the arts because we only want one guy. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing is shrunken. And, you know, the LA Times, during the years I was there, um, I left in, in 2009, but they shrank from a world global staff of 1,200 editorial to 400, I think it is now. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. Yeah. I finally did get laid off after being there for a long, long time. I was almost sort of waiting for that rather than just leaving and trying something new because I thought, oh, you know, it'll come along. I'm an arts writer. <laughs> not... <laughs> You know, uh, the highest value, probably. Um, I don't know. It, it's it, in some ways it feels the same. I think it's for me. It's more that it's very different to and the, the LA Business Journal where I worked for a while is still very print forward. You know, they had a website, but not that sort of rush to post every little thing. Mm -hmm. um, very much um, almost like a club in that you know they had some some big print features that were very popular each year. They had um, LA's wealthiest. You know calculate who's the, who are the wealthiest people in Los Angeles. Here's the LA 500. We always name who are the 500 most important people. So those publications are things that people like to hold in their hand. But uh, they, interestingly, they just have a lot of events that they cover. cover. That's what is happening a lot. Certainly, everybody's covering their own events. They hold an event and then cover it um, and then print the stories about it. Um, but lots and lots of real estate ads for them that sort of carries them. What has been a problem, I think, for most either entertainment sections in the arts or the trades, certainly during the pandemic, is no awards. You know, there weren't the big, the money was not coming in for, um, you know, for your consideration ads as much so as before. So what you saw was a lot of sponsored 
panels and that kind of thing. So it's, you know, I, I think that as long as you, it, it's, it's become tough because, you know, reporters saying, hey, we don't want so much of this custom content and the custom content people say, we couldn't survive if we didn't have this. Yeah, give us more. So it's just to make sure it's clear. I think that that's, you know, I think we have a generation that's not that, you know, they just see it all as this content, which is a little frightening, but I think as long as you make it clear, as long as you say this over here, is LA's best lawyers in the business journal. As long as you make it clear that we didn't pick them out, <laughs> you know, they, right. they bought this section and they want to present it there. But um, one curiosity I've always had the impact of bloggers, uh, for lack of a better word, on the legacy press, because bloggers don't have overhead, they're, you know, as much overhead for sure. And they tend to skew a little more sensationalistic, so they get the they get the attention of people. Meanwhile, you have this, the legacy press that is is competing with these people for time and and for readership. And some, I think, tend to go the way of the sensationalistic as well, and which to me dilutes the the product or the journalistic in, integrity. At least looking from from yeah. my perspective on the outside. How have you seen that impact? Is that, uh, is that a struggle for legitimate journalists um, like yourself when you have folks that are out there in their basement sensationalizing things and, and you have to fight for that? It seems like more of that, I mean, bloggers are almost, I mean, I guess they exist, but the, the blogger phase to me seems sort of over and it's more people who have created a turf for themselves on some social media platform People, I don't get it. You know, I look and I see that everybody wants their stuff to be picked up by Drudge Report. Um, but to me, it just looks like a list of stuff. I mean, you know, I, I don't get why it's so powerful, but there you go. What I find is, you know, as somebody who used to cover certain events in Los Angeles for not not for the rap, but for um, Deadline when I used to do that, um, like the, the Television Critics Association conferences. Okay, how many people are you going to let into that room? You know, they now are, they have to say, hey, are we going to let everybody who calls themselves a blogger in here to these conferences? Or are we going to, um, you know, say you have to prove your readership. You have to put all this stuff before we'll, we'll let you in the room. Um, what I find is happening a lot, though, is companies, they hire their social media person who proceeds to put stuff out there as though it's coverage and it's really, they've been hired by, you know, ABC has a press department with a whole bunch of tweeters and posters and that kind of thing. And they put stuff out there and they've been hired to do so. Gosh, I'm so excited to be here at, you know, yep. um, watching Dancing with the Stars, you know, whatever it is. Um, how do you tell the difference? And I feel like sometimes when I look at a generation of, you know, students that I teach is not only can't they tell the difference? They don't care. Uh, I've noticed that there's an, and I'm not sure if I either heard the term or I don't know, maybe I made it up, wickification of fandom when it comes to sports in mm. that people don't want to, like younger folks don't seem to want to sit and watch an entire sporting event. They just want to know the result. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that with a lot of journalism too, is they don't want to read the article and, and get the depth of it. They just want to know what the what the headline is or what the 
one or two main bullet points are. Yeah, which may have been true of print too. You know, that some people, it was there if you wanted to sit and read it, but there weren't that many stories that would hook you in that, you know, there are very few that are a narrative where you want to, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next is unusual in journalism. You know, usually it's just, we're seeing more people are eating bananas than ever before. There's a whole bunch of people telling you why they eat bananas. Then you repeat, and more people are eating bananas. Whereas it's not the unfolding story of who got murdered and how did this, that happen? And the kind of thing that podcasts seem to be latching onto is that continuing saga kind of kind of thing. I don't know. I mean, I just kind of think it's it's all it's all a delivery method. I mean, some people do sit and read long things online if they're interesting enough. Some people would only read headlines no matter what it was. You know, the one thing I find is different is that people think things are not important unless they're somehow sharing them or getting liked for it or whatever. It used to be enough. Found a great book and you read it. That was a good experience. But now unless somebody knows you read it and has a picture of you reading it and has somehow reacted to that, that seems to be a generational thing that kind of seems unfortunate. Seems unfortunate that you can't just walk down the street without being on your phone or across the street, you know, not being on your phone and not walking in front of a truck because you're on your phone. <laughs> Is this just inability to just kind of be alone with yourself and not worried about whether or not you're getting approval from somewhere, not being able to count that, you know? I've never been at a publication where, you know, there is now you know, an analytics service that I can sign into and I can see exactly whether it's going up or down or this or that. That's kind of a fun game to play, but it doesn't tell you things like, gee, how long has this person spent with this? Did they hang on to it? Did they come back to it? Did they read something else I wrote because they liked that other story? You know, all of those things that, you know, become part of it. Thank you again to our guest, author, journalist, and educator, Diane Haithman. Join us next week for the second half of our interview with Diane and her take on some of the emerging news stories out of Hollywood. Keep up with Diane and all her writing at dianehaithman.com, link in the show notes, and at therap.com. And if you enjoy the show, please make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend. Tell them to visit heilmanandhaver.com and tune in on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Keep up with all our latest shenanigans on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and check out special segments like In the Mix and Get to Know a Theater on YouTube. As always, thank you for supporting local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver. 